Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige podcast. We're talking about the 2008 black comedy crime film in Bruges. Uh, this is a commission podcast. We have uh, community member Michael to thank for this. Uh, we'll be getting to his thoughts here in a minute. Uh, it's directed by Martin McDonough, uh, who is known as the David Mamet of Ireland. He's uh, written films and directed films like Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, um, as well as Banshees of Inchirin, uh, In Inishirin, I'm not sure, uh, which I quite liked as a spiritual if not outright sequel to this movie in Bruges. Uh, written and directed by Martin Madonna. It stars Colin Farrell. Uh, I first saw Colin in Minority Reports, but the thing that I remember first seeing him in is Daredevil as the outrageous hitman bullseye. I've also seen him in uh, Miami Vice, True Detective Season 2. He was almost unrecognizable as the Penguin in The Batman. Brendan Gleeson... Uh, first saw him in Braveheart. He's also in Gangs of New York 28 Days Later, as well as the Harry Potter franchise. He's Mad-Eye Moody. Oh, also Colin Farrell, I forgot, with the whole Fantastic Beast fiasco. He's in Harry Potter too. Ray Fiennes, Lord Voldemort in Harry Potter. Uh, he's also wow. also in the, the Grand Budapest Hotel. I think my favorite performance of his, The Constant Gardener fucking standout in Hail Caesar the only good well there's two good scenes in that 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 movie and he's in one of them he's also M in the latest three uh, James Bonds we also have Clements Posey credibly cast as the most beautiful woman in the world in Harry Potter fire uh, the, the goblet of fire the fiery goblet uh, she also turned up in the latest season of uh, Walking Dead Daryl Dixon uh, what else? Jordan Prentice was Howard the Duck in the Howard the Duck back in 1986. He also Apparently. played the giant, the giant bag of weed and Harold yeah. and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> I had no idea a real person was in that. I always thought it was like an animatronic or something. That's Jordan sure. Prentice. Uh, and he's also in several of the American Pie series. Uh, and also you have Kieran Hines, who is an uncredited priest in this movie. Of course, he's also the king beyond the wall in Game of Thrones. He's Dumbledore's brother, and you guessed it, Harry Potter. Also showed up in Belfast, and There Will Be Blood with a memorable role. Uh, Michael says, I first saw this in college and was mostly looking for a Tarantino slash guy Richie knockoff, but couldn't believe how much better it was than I expected. Probably helped that they sound so Irish, but I love how everything in this movie ties together. Every scene connects to at least two or three others. My favorites are Ken dropping the change from the tower. Warning people below shows how he's more careful than Ray. He has a chance because the guards wouldn't take it either. The fog that prevented him from making the shot was brought up a few times. Harry using the exploding bullets. Uh, let's let's actually this is a little bit more spoilery than <laughs> I was. I don't uh -huh. I don't want to get to the spoilers this way. We'll get to you here in a minute, Michael. Uh, we see what Michael thinks of this movie. I believe this is your first time seeing it, Jim. It's my it third is. time. Oh, okay. what did you make of your time in Bruges? Uh, I enjoyed it Bruges. a lot more than Ray. That's for sure. Uh, boy, this movie. Hmm. So it's made in 2008, which felt strange to me when I started watching this movie because of a lot of the language. Uh, the language in this movie I associate with uh, movies of yesteryear, and I don't really consider 2008 yesteryear yet. 
That said, if you can get past some very coarse language, I think this is a very well-made movie, and it's exceptionally good. Uh, it takes these gangster hitman thriller movies and just turns them on their head and does something way more interesting with it than pretty much any other one I've ever seen. Um, and maybe because I've seen so many of them that are just like, eh, kind of by the numbers. Uh, this thing surprised me at every turn and it felt like everything just kind of fell into place. None of it, maybe with the exception of one scene, none of it felt Mm. forced to me. Like these were just, it's the best kind of storytelling for me with a plot that is motivated by its characters. It, it, it does not exist without the characters within it. Um, as opposed to a lot of stuff I've seen, it's the other way around where boy, these characters are just forced down these paths. Huh? Um, this, this one is excellent. And I think the acting is probably what makes it like top notch. In my opinion, Colin Farrell, uh, Gleason, what's his first name? Brendan Gleason. Brendan Gleason. Uh, They're both amazing in this movie. Brendan Gleason in particular has a way of playing a very kind, sympathetic heavy. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Kind of like Tom Hanks in uh, what was that movie about him being a gangster? The Eternal uh, Torment of the Dirty Mind. Or, <laughs> God, I want to say Green Mile, but it's not. It's, it's uh, not. Per- Road to Perdition. Yes, thank you. Um, that there's like an underlying core of like kindness and empathy in these guys that makes you know without an absolute certainty that if a few breaks had gone differently in their lives, they they wouldn't they wouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the kind of the energy propels the move forward. I want to echo what Jim said about the language. I think he's you might be uh, you might be mistaken to thinking that Jim's clutching pearls at saying fuck because this <laughs> this movie averages. I actually looked it up. It averages one point three fucks per minute. But uh-huh. this movie's I I, I it's forgot that. It's not the fucks that. that bother me. I don't give a shit. No, about this the movie's pan offensive. If you got an yeah, ism, yeah. an ist, or a phobia, this movie is going to j- jam jam those notes in. And I, I think it worked because like the other guy that gets away with this is Quentin Tarantino, um, uh-huh. and he always mm-hmm. writes cum- scumbags. You know, scumbags, sure. and you can always get away with like, well, of course a scumbag would think this way. And yeah, true. Um, I guess it adds yeah. a little verisimilitude. You know, it's like it it makes maybe. Uh, it makes the later material work as a contrast, but I, I was kind of wondering, it's like, man, they are really hitting these notes hard. I, I, does this tie in? It doesn't really, but it's something you need to be Not aware so of much. because, because mm-hmm. yeah, it is, it is uh, real offensive. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, there is something really interesting and every act unveils, unveils a twist that makes the previous act make more sense or more meaningful because like in the first this movie you're going to be like jesus christ what is the stick up ray's ass and you know why is uh is it ken is that the brendan's uh why is Mm -hmm. ken so like maniacally tourist and you know is he planning like he goes up in his tower and he's like pretending to shoot people it's like is this is he actually planning a hit and just his more inexperienced guy doesn't know about it or whatnot and you're waiting for this call, the gangster, and you know what's what's the you know to, to wait their next orders, and you're thinking they're going to do some messy hit in Bruges or or whatever, and it just yeah, like what Michael is saying is every one of those scenes, you know, when they're talking about the magical fog and and uh, every one of those scenes and dialogue ends up meaning something, um, and even within scenes like that, that's it's it might be weird, but I think my favorite scene in this entire movie is the scene where Ken finally gets a call from Harry. 
Yeah. And I won't I won't say too much here, but the way that that scene unfolds at the beginning of it, I'm thinking this is a fucking pointless scene. I'm enjoying the dialogue because the dialogue in the show is uh, in this movie is amazingly sharp. Um, but, but I'm thinking like, what does this have to do with anything? We're just talking about pointless nonsense here. And by the end of it, all of that has been rearranged to where you're like, oh, oh no, these, these characters all have reasons for saying the things they're saying. And it all makes sense by the end of this one scene. It's such a good scene. Yeah, and it leads to like the bit. There's there's one huge meme for this movie, and you've you've seen it. I know you have. It's Colin Farrell sitting on a park bench with Brendan Gleeson behind him. And if you haven't seen it, I'm just going to say that. Um, and you know, because it's it's out of context. It's just a funny image, right? Um, but like inside the movie, um, that happens right after the conversation Jim's referencing, and it just adds so much extra spice to the movie. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really want to say much more. Um, oh, we've talked about the performances. I, oh, the one other thing is like many people have remarked upon this. Uh, Roger Ebert in his four star review said that he had the burning desire to s- never heard, never really. He's like he grew up. You know, he's a Chicago suburb kid. Would grew up calling this town if he'd ever referred to it all as Bruges, you know. And he says, I found out two things after watching this film. You pronounce it Bruges. And also, I have a burning desire to visit this city before I die. I wonder if he made yeah. it. I wonder if I he made know. it. Because he didn't have, he only had like three more years in him. Uh, four more years at the... Oof. I need to I need to look and see if he actually made it. But I, I always think that too. It, Bruges, the city, is not a full character, but it's a, certainly an exquisite backdrop. And it provides, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, cover and escape at times and just jaw-dropping beauty and history that's kind of relevant to the film as well um it's just great and i and and like i said um i think as as unpleasant as the material is i think it does mostly serve a purpose even some of those purposes i think are kind of unsavory in retrospect and uh yeah Hmm. the dialogue is like there is some really funny verbal word word (laughs) wordplay oh yeah um, there's some funny situational comedy. It's all bleak. Like to find it funny, you have to be kind of like have a little bit of a skewed view in the world. But mm. I, I found some of the Ray and Ken stuff just hilarious. And then when Ray Fine shows up, yeah, he's got so much. He's got such good comedic timing, man. Mm-hmm. Even in his last scene is super funny just because of the way he performed and delivered it, even though it's like the work, you know, it's it's pretty terrible to things that's happening. So, <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen this film and you can uh, you have a thick skin, I would recommend watching it. Um, and then definitely, if you like this, another one kind of up the same alley is that Banshees of Inishirin, uh also starring Bl- Brendan Glaze. Uh, <laughs> Brendan Gleeson and and uh, uh, Colin Farrell here. Farrell, yep. And very, yeah. Like I said, it, it's considered a spiritual sequel. Yeah, um, I almost wanted to go watch it right after this because uh, I remember the the preview for that looking okay, but it feels like it's a tough movie. Like if I were watching a preview of this movie, what would attract me to it? Because the things that would attract me to it are are hard to portray in a trailer, yeah. um, hard hard to, hard to fully articulate in a trailer, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know. The Banshee's of Inisherin must be the same. I really want to go see that now. It just doesn't have the hook of like this is gangster shit. 
uh-huh. you know no because not a lot of gangster shit happens in this movie it's yeah it's, it's kind of like but it reminds me of martin scorsese like if this is what would this be casino you know i don't know something okay. about two friends yeah. and and things going but not quite that it's it's got more heart to it than like banshees of inishirin would be like uh uh what is it was it the pre- what was the age of innocence Oh, it's like that's okay. We talk about that like that's a gangster ass Scorsese movie, but there's no guns and and violence. It's all emotional. It's all emotional violence and sure. emotional betrayals and and longing and wanting and desire for protection. But both of those both these films revolve around masculine friendships, like stereotypically reg- regressive um did uh, over much concern with honor and all that kind of stuff in terms of of masculine friendships and like what it means to 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 be your buddy like what are the limits of that what what do you have to go along with what do you have to it's it's good stuff um i guess before we get into spoilers um maybe i can just give a brief rundown of the setup for this film because i can't say much more we'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause Here's what's new in premium content for our club members. This week, Jim's away, so the producer will play. That's right, it's time for another fabulous lunch with Talitha and Aaron. Not only do we have an alternate host lineup, we also are doing it on an alternate day. Lunch will be served on Wednesday. All that, plus the usual bullshit for me, served live or catch the podcast version out later that day. We're about a month out from the kickoff of Badass Fest 6, so get your tickets now while available at baldmove.com slash live. Come watch an outrageously badass mystery film with us. Grab another snack and beverage from the theater's fully stocked bar, then get back in your seat for a live recording of the accompanying podcast. Get more info and tickets at baldmove.com slash live. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content, plus ad-free feeds. And now, back with more Bald Move. Uh, this involves two gangsters, Irish gangsters, working for, I think, the crime lord of Dublin, as you're supposed to understand, uh, Harry. So you got Ray mm-hmm. and, and, and Ken. They just finished a hit in England, and they are fleeing. You know, obviously, they need some place to lay low, and their boss, Harry, has sent them to Bruges to cool out until they're contacted for further instructions. Ken is delighted because he's an old soul. He's been doing this for a bit. He relishes the opportunity to put down the silenced nine millimeter and just pick up the tour guide and throw himself into this charming medieval city. Ray, who is the younger hothead, wants to chew his own arm off to get out of what he repeatedly refers to as the shithole of Bruges. (laughs) Um and uh yeah i think that's all i want to say i think that's all i want to say about the film uh shit happens things sh- new shit comes to light uh and it it's uh it uh you need to see it all right if you haven't seen in bruges fuck off uh or stay on and be spoiled uh it's 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 your call i'm not your i'm not your i'm not your dad i'm not your mom what you do with your life that's that's your fucking concern you tell it to the priest Anyway, uh, should we should we get back to Michael now that we've we've we're in the spoiler yeah. sections? 
Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so Michael first saw this in college. He's looking for Tarantino, which I think Tarantino oh, yeah. is, is something that compares favorably to in terms of black comedy and humor. It's just mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have the Irish Catholic sentiment to it. Um, so he says, so my favorite scenes are Ken dropping the change from the tower, warning to the people below uh, shows he's more careful than Ray. Is it a warning? Uh, I, I was a little confused by that because to me, in my mind, people are going to congregate there. Like you start dropping money off a tower unless they don't want to get hit by it, unless they think there's more coming. But I think that's the, the thing that things are falling off the tower. People are going to be like, what the hell? But like he's I think his logic here where he says that the guards, the guard of the tower steadfast refusal to take bribes is kind of mm-hmm. like no one's going to like jump but i i think that logic tenuously connects um okay. but i think that's exactly what they're trying to to, to, to demonstrate the fog that prevents him from taking the shot brought because that's i'd forgotten how this movie ends exactly mm-hmm. and like we went up there and i'm like oh god this is going to pay off him just miming shooting people he's got such uh-huh. a perfect shot of the and then he gets up there and it's a goddamn fairy tale fog mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh harry using exploding bullets Harry says, blow your head yeah, off instead of shoot. Does. He he actually blows Jimmy's head off and so doesn't know he is an adult. When he takes mm-hmm. the exploding bullets from the gun dealer, he says he knows he shouldn't use them. Have you seen a theory that this... Okay, let's... So, um, I want to get to this because these are like more meta commentary about the film and we, we typically get to these towards the end. Uh, so, uh, we're trying to encourage Michael to listen to the whole podcast. You know, I know that people commission just to hear themselves. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> It was Why very not? important to us that the commissioner listen to the whole podcast. We're we're gonna tease you. We're gonna pull go pull it out. Then no no fast forwarding, Michael. No fast forwarding. Uh, is this a Christmas want- movie? Damn straight, it's a Christmas movie. This is such a Christmas movie that the town of Bruges was compelled to keep their Christmas decorations up through March so they can compl- <laughs> so compel. Can they could finish filming, and I guess the government, the mayor of Bruges, had to make a proclamation saying, "Don't freak out. We know that the the the, the Christmas stuff is up. We're doing this big film of this wow. thing, and get excited for it." But yes, this I think, and the plot I lightly think the, hinges on it too, right? There's, yeah, there's, I mean, they're they're forced to stay in a hotel room to or a bed and breakfast room or whatever together because yeah. Chris because it's Christmas, and so a lot yeah, of the tension the high comes volume. from that. And also, like, you know, anytime bad things happen in the year, like bad, the worst time for th- bad things to happen in your personal life is during Christmas. Sure. Uh, because sense. now you're blue and you're sad and everybody else is happy and that kind of grates on you. That's definitely grist for the Ray Mill because you're wondering the first, like, you know, act of this movie. Why is he such a fucking asshole and why is Ken putting up with it? Like, you think mm-hmm. a guy like Ken would be like, look, you fucking get. Uh, I'm gonna bust your ass wide open, and I, I I'm a, look like a man to do it. Uh, but he doesn't. He's <laughs> exceptionally kind and delicate when it comes to like Ken's uh, to Ray's feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think yeah, like it's got Christmas music, it's got Christmas decorations. The plot kind of hinges, at least partially. I mean, you could make this in any season, and it would work about as well. But Christmas is that extra little spice you put in the stew that just brings it all together, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it definitely is a Christmas film, and I feel like it's a particularly melancholy Christmas film. It'd be really, you know, if you oh, are yeah. having one of those Dolly Parton style hard candy cr- Christmases, this what's that uh, goddamn Giamatti film? All is bright. Oh yeah, that's a, that's another Paul one Red or whatever. 
yeah yeah if you if you if you're having a tough christmas and you just want to like uh explore that space this movie makes a great great uh, companion so absolutely it's a christmas <laughs> that's one of the first things i had in my notes this is yeah, a christmas me too, film it's one of the first things you see in this movie is uh christmas lights in the city right yeah uh and i i, I thought like the, the, i think so we talked about this movie being offensive um and i there's there's justification for it being offensive because this is probably you know these are irish hitmen they're probably not well educated they're probably not from the best background they mm-hmm. are from they mur- they murder people for money like you can't yeah. get much more offensive to human sensibilities than that um but even still it's like i got the impression that ray especially going around antagonizing fat people antagonizing canadians antagonizing dwarves antagonizing everyone he comes across is him being mad at the world and having no outlet and mad at himself transferring that to mad at the world and and i think it's overall like ties into a suicide like you know like his wanting to die like Mm -hmm. this whole this whole i don't know if he acts like this all the time but like he carries himself like a man that wants to die and those act reveals where you're like, oh shit, he killed, yeah. you know, and, and not, that's the thing. Like Colin Farrell is extremely young. I think you're supposed to understand him being extremely young, like in his early twenties, he's referred to as the boy, the kid a lot. His first, mm-hmm. I take it as his first ever hit. It is. Yeah. He, he goes to murder, I think a corrupt priest or, or maybe it's a priest that owes Harry money. I don't know. Sure. And he shoots this guy in confessional booth and he staggers forth and, um, as he's finishing the priest off, the priest collapses and he sees that he's accidentally shot a young boy in the head mm-hmm. and everything. And not only was he a young boy shot in the head dead, but this young boy was kneeling in front of the altar asking for, for like little bo- forgiveness for little boy crimes. Like mm-hmm. the fact that he talks back to his mom and the fact that he's, he's too sad and unhappy and he makes him up and it's just like heartbreaking. <laughs> and yeah, what what did you like where what did you get from that from like because i got some clear opinions like instantly of where ray was at with this killing oh well i was trying to figure out how much of this is just ray and how much of this is effect of having killed the kid i i almost wish there was some insight into who he was before that event because he, is he just this weird twitchy offensive uh sad sack of a man usually and this just amplified that or is he more like a Brendan Gleeson more like a Ken um, until this event and now he he can't you know he doesn't want to live for most I, I guess of I, the I film... wish there, I, there was more information there but I, I think like what we're supposed to be seeing here is the effects of that on on every level yeah because that's what I was uh, you, you hit on everything that I was thinking um because I think most of the film works to understand that he was like a young up and coming soldier. You know, maybe he's a little bit more like uh, Vincent in Pulp Fiction, where he's a little bit, you know, he's younger, a little less thoughtful than his, his partner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he's not like a crazy. I don't think a, a crazy hothead is is who the Irish mafia turns into their button men. You know, uh, you, you need a little bit of like detachment and result. I think but. And I think it works. So I was like, yeah, he's, you know, like he's an Irish gangster. So that implies a certain level of, of bullshit. But this is like a whole new level for him. But I think 
the re- revelation that the, the child he murdered is this kind of melancholy, depressive child is supposed to into, you're supposed to think, I think that scene works best if Ray is seeing, oh my God, I killed myself. Hmm. Like this is a little boy okay. and, and maybe that like I've worked hard to put some of that behind me and maybe I have, uh, you know, have, have shoved all that stuff way down, but this has always been an element of me and now it's going to come roaring back. Um, and those are kind of tough to resolve, but yeah, yeah, I'm just but I unsure because uh, we don't ever see who he is before this. Um, do, do you think that works in this movie's favor? Because I think the ambiguity, the fact that you can kind of like look through both ends of the telescope and see one inch that's and, and, and a lot of things could have been resolved if we'd seen flashbacks or we'd gotten, you know, the first act was um, you can make this a three hour movie where the first act is as him and Ken you know bullshitting and rear and, and arranging mm-hmm. to do the hit and then doing the hit and then and then you would know yeah, like pulp fiction right it's them yeah. driving to the hit it's them talking we need about shotguns for this shit you know to, yeah. yeah royales with cheese all that stuff uh-huh. yeah, yeah yeah but like i don't know that that would be a better film because the not sure. knowing and and you know waiting for pieces to kind of fall in the place of the ray puzzle i think is part of the you know, because just as I was getting bored of his like just just misandry, I'm on. It's it's not. It's just like he just hates fucking humankind. They give you that that flashback to the priest killing. Oh Jesus, mm-hmm. yeah. I guess that would be a reason for you to be. And then the next act, yeah, he really just revel- himself. Yeah, and he wants and, to die. And then the, the next act, revelation of that Harry wants him dead, and that yeah, Brendan's yeah. going to be the guy to do it. That's something that adds a whole bunch of fascination and. And there's a lot of stuff in this movie about judgment, about guilt, about uh, principles or, or moral codes and honor. Um, and I feel like it works really well, but it's it's not... In some scenes, it really comes to the forefront when you know he's asking directly about it after having you know, seen this last judgment painting, the Hieronymus Bosch thing. Um, sure. It, it it comes up, it bubbles up to the surface, but most of the time it's just simmering in the background. And I think all the allusions to all the, the judgment stuff that they're doing uh, really make the movie even more interesting than just the twisty, you know, gangster drama that it is. Um, like, I, I... The end of this movie is so interesting to me because they don't tell you whether or not he dies, right? They just mm. leave it with him looking at the ceiling of an ambulance um, as he's being carted off after he's been shot and is probably dying, but you're not sure. And I think that kind of is a summation of the entire movie and how he's felt about himself the whole time. Um, And to tie it back to, yeah, his feelings about killing this kid. We don't know if he's a good person before he got into the hitman stuff. Um, We don't know how the, the scales are balancing out for him. And he's so worried about this, heaven or hell judgment and purgatory. And I think in Bruges, Bruges, the city itself is supposed to be a standard for purgatory based on like what he says at the end, right? All, all yes. the stuff he's saying about like, uh, I, I promised myself I'd go take, take the judgment of the, the family of this kid, no matter what it is, because both prison and death would be better than being in Bruges. And I think, that, that that's like the the judgment message there right like he just wants to be judged he he feels like he's getting away with something horrible and he wants to be judged for it yeah 
I, I had the same conclusion that like the, this all tied back to the Hieronymus art discussion where Brendan Gleeser points yeah. out uh, purgatory and what it means and the, the, the yeah the recontextualization of Bruges not being hell but like you know this purgatory where his soul's being judged I I, I quite liked and I liked that the movie ended on that kind of ambiguous. But I, it's it's interesting that Ken believes that he can be redeemed. I think that's the important part that Ken thinks like mm-hmm, repeatedly. Mm-hmm. It's like you know what, and like he feels guilty. Like maybe this was a family friend or a, uh, an, like someone he knew as a child when he was a young man, and he's seen him grown up and getting bad breaks. And you know he he's like, well, maybe you could do what I do. And and he feels kind of like now he sees that he wasn't you know like Brent like. Ken's built for this like Ken does this shit mm-hmm. and it doesn't really bother him and but like you know Ray is you know, especially on his first fucking hit he, he fucks up <laughs> yeah. this bad um, it's 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 a bad bad deal and he's, he thinks that like and on, uh, simultaneously it's not too late because like you know Ken's killed a hundred people like his soul is stained bright red but like this you know Ray might be redeemable and he's willing to in a Christ-like fashion, lay down his life to protect his chance at redemption. Yeah, by the end, he's almost he, he's almost making the case to God not to take Ray, so that he can have an opportunity to to do yeah. better, right? Like, I yeah, I, I really like that stuff. I think I I you know I, I don't believe in any of it, right? I don't believe there's a hell or a heaven or a purgatory, but judging yourself. Um, whether you feel like you've done a decent job on this earth or not, uh, I, I think that's something that everyone does. And that's that's the part where I, I can look at this movie and go, okay, uh, you know, I might not believe in the specifics of what they believe in, but it it applies. It's still yeah, a way to like, measure yourself against your own feeling on who you should be. Yeah, like I don't, I don't think that like heaven and hell are, are real places, but I think heaven, hell, and purgatory are great metaphors for exist states of existence here on Earth that people uh-huh. put themselves into. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I think I think it works great on that that metaphoric level. And for these gentlemen, I think they, you know, I it's, I imagine that uh, I'm just going to say the Irish Catholic gangsters probably on some level care about the religion as much as like italian catholic gangsters like there mm-hmm. is this kind mm-hmm. of um cognitive dissonance between you know them being honored this being uh concerned with honor and like rules to the game and but also knowing that oh yeah we're going to hell for sure for sure we're going to hell there's no uh-huh. way no way we're not going to hell uh which i think just like you know that uh that's that's the you know like um like I know this guy's called the Mammoth of McDonough's called the Mammoth of Ireland, but also he could be the Scorsese because his films are always kind of concerned with these Catholic notions of guilt and redemption and atonement, um, mm-hmm. much the same Martin Marty's are um, with with an interesting difference that uh, that, that uh, I want to talk about when when Michael prompts us to later. Okay. What was I'm curious? What was the scene the one scene that you thought was just like what the fuck what what is this doing in the movie it's the one scene that is like very plot driven has nothing to do with characters it's the scene where Colin Farrell gets put on a train and he's headed out of town to hide out and go perhaps you know live a better life and the Canadian catches up with him on the train I thought 
A, how did the Canadian find him on this train? I don't know how big of a city Bruges is, but they make it feel like it's 16 people uh, <laughs> by the way that he catches up with him. And I just, I, it's the biggest stretch in the entire movie. And not because it's a huge stretch. Like, I think, okay, it's just on the edge of believable. It's that everything else is not a stretch at all. Everything else flows so naturally that this one moment stood out to me. Huh. That's not the scene I thought. Because I, I just took it as like it was a sheer happenstance. Like the Canadian couple, they were finishing up their weekend, their romantic weekend in, in Bruges. And uh, and uh, this happened to be the train that uh, Ray was fleeing on. And they recognized yeah, him. And That's why it's barely believable, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I, it's on the edge of believability because that could have happened. What I wish had happened in this movie is they had shown us as Ray's leaving that oh actually like it, it just needed to be something where like the train drives by the camera and you see in the window the Canadian or something right mm. to connect those dots a little bit more yeah I, I think it works as kind of like divine judgment you know this is like Jonah fleeing the city of Nineveh because he doesn't want to go judge him and uh, there's a shipwreck and and a he's whale swallows him and then he's vomited back onto the shores of of uh Nineveh right like this uh-huh. is like nah god's not done you're trying to escape purgatory and you haven't yeah. done the you haven't atoned um i think it works as like almost a supernatural i think it works it, it works almost better as like a supernatural lightning bl- uh, out of the blue kind of kind of thing gotcha um i want to talk about the scenes with the dwarf what person. what is so what scene did you think I was talking about when I said I, I, where ability. I'm going where I'm okay, going okay where, yeah yeah because like I Jordan Prentice is a very talented little person uh, he uh-huh. is definitely in the mold of Peter Dinklage he's very well proportioned he's very conventionally handsome he's got a lot of acting chops I feel like this is the guy that Hollywood turns to when um ah oh shit I just forgot the uh, uh, Tyrion, uh, Peter Dinklage. When Peter Dinklage says, "Go fuck yourself," to this script, you want me to be uh-huh. a bag of weed? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> you want me to be a comedy prop in this American Pie come on pies bullet? Go fuck yourself. You want mm-hmm. me this the to be a, a tormented little person uh, who is like a sympathetic? Like this is like the the anti station agent where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you feel bad for this guy. Oh, this guy's an asshole. He's like a racist. He's 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 getting high on cocaine and talking about how there's an upcoming race war and everyone's going to be against white people, including, you know, even even little people will be, you know, the it's not going to be <laughs> they're going to side with the white people, uh, the white doors inside of white people. It's just like I, it I, and, and I think the only purpose that scene serves is so mm-hmm. the audience doesn't feel too bad when he gets murdered at the end. Because I'll use an asshole. Sure. He's an asshole dwarf. Yeah. I, I was expecting. But it connects. I guess I it expecting... just connects in an awful way. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. It's. It all kind of flows naturally, but also. Yeah. I mean, you know, a bunch of the stuff in this movie is icky. It's, it's just the way they behave and stuff. But like. I don't know. I kind of expected it to be worse. At some point, like the way this movie starts off, I expected it to be way worse. I expected mm. this guy and Colin Farrell to get into a giant, I don't know, uh, mix up at some point with their language and just cause a huge scene all over him being a little person. Like I, 
it was it was more reserved than I expected on on the little person angle really but then it goes to the racism angle right like I, okay yeah it, it, it has That's much saying. it has plenty of offensive stuff but not offensive I, I think in the way I expected given the beginning and also I think Madonna Madonna has this kind of need for the celestial um balance and that Ray Fiennes, who is described as like just this giant cunt who's set in his ways, there's no no way mm-hmm. to redeem this guy. Um, but he has a moral code where it's like, oh look, yeah, I might be mm-hmm. the worst of the worst, but I'm not going to kill children. And you can see, like, you know, I because again, I'd forgotten it'd been ten years since I seen this movie. I'd forgotten the exact mechanics. I knew the resolution, but I didn't know exactly the twists and turns it took there. And he demonstrates it a couple of times. Um, the mm-hmm. fact that like the pregnant hotel keeper, innkeeper, uh, yep. just flat out will not let her in. He's like this danger. He's just Ray Fines acting like a maniac with a gun in his hands, but then he shifts down to like this gear. It's like, well, you know, look, I'm not gonna shoot a woman, especially one carrying a baby. It's like he's like mm-hmm. he's going to try to like talk his way out of it and stuff. He's not going to put hands on her. And then then he, when he thinks like Michael points out that grim irony that he exploded a dwarf's head in in a child costume who was playing this bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thinks he's killed a kid and like he deadpans like, well, you got to have a code. and He blows his own head off like he said he would do. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's something satisfying about Ray Fine's killing himself over like if he'd known like the sit- actual situation if he'd known that wasn't a little boy he wouldn't have felt bad at all but there's mm-hmm. something almost christ-like they talk about that propitiatory sacrifice adam and eve fucked up and they committed the first sin jesus mm-hmm. christ as a sinless man dying for collectively all of our sins like washes that away and there's something about that that like he laid down his life for his code which didn't apply because this is a dirty dwarf this is a bad dwarf this is a racist dwarf there's something mm. about that 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 makes it work but like I said it's just like I could see Peter Dinklage seeing the script and being like absolutely fucking not absolutely <laughs> sure, fucking sure. not I'll go make station agent instead fuck you guys which is an excellent movie uh, it is an excellent movie I, I, I don't have problems with either of those movies um, yeah and, and I, I really love how that plays out because that act of honor at the end lends credence to so much stuff that could be less believable earlier on like specifically Brendan Gleeson Ken's uh, respect that he has for this man he he at some point says like I'm not gonna fight you right like I I, I respect you so much but I, I had to let this kid go I had to let this kid have another chance at life yeah. despite all you've done for me despite the man I think you are because I believe you're honorable and I and everything he's saying there is like, do I believe it until we get to the end where Harry blows his own head off because of his principles? And then all of that makes sense. I mean, Harry is an honorable man. Harry is a guy who his word is his bond. He has a code that he absolutely lives by. Uh, you know where he stands. And so I think it's necessary almost to to put an end cap on a lot of the stuff we've seen throughout the movie. There's a, I, I, I know that there's a deleted scene, which I have not seen, where there's a flashback when Harry's talking about his strict moral code where a younger version of Ray finds, played by Matt Smith, by the way, like must be like a bait, like, like, really? like eight, yeah, like, like early 20s Matt Smith. 
how old was Christopher uh, Eccleston at that time? Because he he could play in a, a Ray Fines that I would believe. Uh, I think Matt Smith. I got to see this deleted scene, but he's in a nightclub with his then girlfriend, eventually wife, and she's holding a dead woman. And he finds out that it's a cop, a dirty cop that killed this woman to like cover up some some larger crime he commits. And he got he goes down to the police station and murders the cop with a knife to kind of show that like Mm. he has got like there's lines like we don't do, you know, women and children. We don't involve civilians. This is a point of honor and pride. And, you know, there's that great line where he's explaining to his wife like, uh, (laughs) <laughs> the whole you're an inanimate object and he goes and apologizes to her and she's like do you have to go can't you take your boys like can't you send your thugs after him and he's like no this is a point of honor she's like well is it going to be dangerous mm-hmm. he's like of course it'll be dangerous it's a point of honor mm-hmm. it's such a like I said it's 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 such a great it's such a great character and a great line of dialogue um, and that like I said is extremely funny when Brent, uh, when Ken's up in the, the tower explaining to him why he's doing this yeah and harry's like well why don't you know like uh you know what's the difference in this means like well you're a cunt and you've been a cunt for a long time and <laughs> there's no no change in your cunty ways like there's no but like you know ray's uh-huh. still got the glimmer of hope he does those 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 blood tracks aren't worn those grooves aren't worn into his brain yet yeah, um could be scared straight on his first job right yeah yeah like i said i'm i'm kind of skeptical but uh yeah, uh, and then the idea, the other thing that's really funny is Harry. Also, another quote that like Harry's trying to give Ray a two week vacation that he thinks because uh, Harry thinks a lot of Bruges. You know mm-hmm. what about the swans? How can you not fucking like the swans? You know, <laughs> and and the irony of it is that uh, this is Ray's like nightmare. You know. Like uh-huh. he would rather go to someplace warm and beachy and, you know, lots of bars, lots of women, lots of dancing. And Harry sent him into an old man's vacation that he finds hell. I thought that yeah. was really funny. It is. Uh, I kept thinking, like, how are they going to get a call from Harry if they're out sightseeing constantly? But that becomes a plot point at some point in the movie where they do miss a call from him. And I love God. I love that note that he leaves. With just like fucking this and fucking that, and <laughs> you see the the quote unquote receptionist taking this down, right, and then putting her yeah. little note at the end, at the bottom. I am not the receptionist. I am co owner of this inn with my husband. Uh-huh. And that's like you think that's just like a throwaway, like okay, you know, whatever the show. But like it pays off in the end because she does, this is yeah. her fucking inn, and she's not gonna let someone come in and do murder. Um, yeah, I love that scene so much when they're they're negotiating the shootout, right? He's she's like. Okay, why don't you just, like, if nobody's going to actually shoot anybody here, why don't you just put your guns down and go home? And he's like, are you crazy, lady? This is the shootout. <laughs> yeah, I said, don't be stupid. This is <laughs> the shootout. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a funny, almost fourth wall breaking. Like, this yes. is the big last act shootout. What the hell? Yeah, we're not um, going to spoil the action by just going home. Dude, Ray Fiennes is so good. And the other thing that's really good about that final clock tower scene between him and Ken is like how both of the men are at doing this performance with like no hint of husk in their voice, but they both have like tear rimmed eyes. They're not, yeah, cr- yeah. but like this is this is this is a love scene. Um, 
these yeah. two men love each other. Not and like I'm not saying like you know. And one Romeo, of them loves Ray too. It's yeah. yeah. It's, and one of them loves Ray. This is like two uh, two brothers fighting over one of their shitty nephews. You know. Uh-huh. Um. And I just thought that was like such a to get to the place where you have tears in your eyes, but nothing else is showing is such a fucking restrained but excellent performance. I think it's very it'd be very hard to do. Absolutely no, it's why these are all considered excellent actors they can get to that place and i i I can't say enough good about the acting in this it's off the charts good like i've seen colin farrell in a lot of movies but never like this um colin farrell's an interesting actor man i is when i first saw him he was in big lead action roles and i liked him in those big lead action roles right he's a good looking guy he's athletic he's able to pull off some some decent lines and then stairs and shit like that but he has several more gears one of them is this uh which is like a a kind of a nervous twitchy sort of uh very emotional gear and then he's also got a comedic gear that is off the charts good like i it's not a great movie but i do enjoy it and i really love his performance in it but horrible bosses is a movie that gave me a new respect for Colin yeah. Farrell, believe it or not. Yeah, it's it's like the uh, Tom Cruise uh, the Tropic Thunder turn. Yes, yeah, exactly like that. Where he puts on, you know, a good-looking guy who puts on makeup to look horrible and just acts like this this, this just giant entitled shit. You're right, yeah. yeah I, I, I was thinking that, like, this guy is like Leonardo DiCaprio. If Leonardo DiCaprio, every uh, two-thirds of his films consisted of comic book movie action hero and uh-huh. another third consisted of like just pure comedy but like leo never does yeah. that leo's never done a marvel movie leo's never done a like a zany comedy no. or even a black comedy yeah the aviator is about as close as he gets to like a real <laughs> comedy but or, that's not, or, not, not the aviator catch me if you can sorry that's that's true i guess that yeah. is it's that's close. pretty funny you're right that is approaching but that's not horrible bosses. <laughs> no, no, no. That's like, you know, not like a Farley Brothers film. Yeah. Um, I got I love the dialogue in that last scene because like Rafe is just so funny. He's like as soon as like he understands that Ken's starting this like trying to beg for this kid's life. He's like, oh, don't don't come over all Gandhi. And, you know, <laughs> you're just you think I'm going to take pity on just because you're standing there like Robert fucking Powell. And like even Ken doesn't get that reference. He's like, it's Jesus Christ. And I had to look it up. And I guess Robert fucking pal is famous for being jesus in this bbc miniseries jesus of nazareth he's he really does did a good job of embodying that like late you know medieval conception of jesus the gaunt tall dark bearded Mm -hmm. pasty white very solemn and sad and you know burdened with the weight of being the savior kind of thing um it's just it's just funny and then then like he he's he's completely won over by Ken's passion then he shoots him in the leg and mm-hmm. says like, you know what do you think I was gonna I, I gotta shoot you somewhere and then he starts helping him down the staircase I just thought that was such a great ending and you know were it not for the cosmic scales of justice compelling Ray to come back to Bruges uh, the, the movie would have had a happy ending but that's not what any of the men in this movie deserve, and that's not what you're going to get. Yeah, I guess that, that cosmic scales of justice idea is more befitting of like a Coen Brothers movie than 
than the rest of what I saw from McDonough here. Um, yeah, I'm very interested to see what you would think of Banshees. Um, me too. Because it's a, it's a very different film, but it's painting with a lot of the same palette. Uh, it's just like I said, it's not, it's not, thi- it's not this kind of gangster shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I want to say structurally because, like, again, the co- total subversion at the end of the movie where it's like everything came together. You think that the thing is going to be that Ken is going to heroically carry himself to the top of the sh- the the stairs, even though he's bleeding from a jugular wound. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's possible, but whatever. Another's cosmic scales <laughs> of justice, and he gets to the rim, and you think, "Oh shit, he's going to be able to make that shot." And then the fog's there, and then you, and then as soon as he starts throwing change off and straighten his coat, you know what the fuck he's going to do. He's he tucks his gun away, he thinks safely, and he's going to. And I, you know, you don't know whether he's like planning to make this huge distraction and call Ray's attention or get the police involved, so it scares Harry off, but. Um, he gets down there. Ray sees it. He's horrified. He runs over and he's able to squeak off, uh, squeak out like you know, take my gun. And Ray's asking, and and Harry's coming, and Ray's asking for all his clarifications. And Ken croaks out, "Think I'm going to die now?" <laughs> and that's it for him. Yeah. Um, that whole scene, man, it's amazing how it comes together. I, I at some point, I knew someone was going to kill Harry, right? And I'm like, at this point, it's just a matter of who, because you've yeah. got the one-eyed. Uh, Belgian guy who's right. been shit on by Harry in the past, and you think, oh, he might be a Everyone. dangerous guy, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you, then you think, okay, is Brennan Gleason going to take him out? Is Colin Farrell going to spot him, and there's going to be a shootout? Is it going to be, uh, you know, Chloe maybe coming back? You're not really sure, and by the end, it feels perfect that the guy to take out Harry is Harry. Yeah, it's like it again. It it makes sense because like you don't at this page you, you don't want Ray to sully his hands with more bloodshed, right? You want him sure, to, yeah. And yeah, Ray like Harry taking himself out. Uh, <laughs> but when Ken drops off that building, a it's a horrific scene. I mean, the way they really shot it is. I I think there's some rough around the edges directing in this movie. It's like maybe the it is his first part of this movie, film. but it's his yeah. first feature. Yeah. He's done a lot of shorts though, and he's done a lot of stage and. Sure, and it's not like hugely noticeable. It's just stuff that I'm like, ah, that's a little muddy. The directing here is a little, it isn't crisp like I expect from the best directors. But really, whatever. But how so? I might agree with you, but I'm like, what what jumped uh, out at you? It, it might be intentionally so, but that that final climax there is is fairly muddy in like it's positioning i don't know where everybody is at any given time and i think that's kind of the point but yeah like even, Ray's even dying, it being the point it still felt loss. muddy to me he staggers onto a movie set where everyone's wearing weird masks and they're pumping into like it's kind of dreamy and his 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 eyes are starting to pinhole yeah i i, I think i see what he the... was going for but you're right it, it did come at the cost of like what the fuck is this is very dreamlike yeah and i but it wasn't dreamlike enough for me to feel like that was the point either. Yeah. It's it's somewhere it's caught in a purgatory between clarity uh-huh. and the dreamlike state. The um, uncanny directorial valley. Totally. But I do absolutely love when Ken drops off that building and he smashes and it's gory and horrific. And then you're like, oh, oh, he's got the gun in his pocket. That's how 
Ray's going to get out of this. He's going to have a shootout. And then he pulls out the gun and it's just a bunch of springs and metal yeah, pieces Yeah, of course. This thing it's just like, drops. Yeah, he smashed from hundreds of feet, of course. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, speaking of stretching my credibility, the idea that Ken survived that fall, yeah. having already nearly bled out, did strain. Because, like, Brendan Glazier's a big, fleshy man. He's going to splash on that concrete, uh, you know? And he did. I mean, they do one shot of his arm or leg or something, and it's horrific. Yeah, it is. And like the splash of, I can't believe that man had that much blood left in him. But uh, yeah. Yeah. that I thought, that's the other scene I thought you might think, like, what? This is also very poetic more than it is reality based. But, you know, yeah, I guess they make I guess movies I about the, the craziest shit point. that happens in life, not the mundane, realistic stuff. Right. Oh, and I was totally f- in. Uh, like, I, I was in what it was doing with the, the, poetry in this right like the the yeah. idea of purgatory and in bruges and bruges being purgatory and like him stumbling onto this dreamlike movie set i'm like oh he's stumbling into the painting here he's got killers mm-hmm. after him he's being it judged. was very high yeah I, i'm getting all that and i'm feeling it i'm liking it um i i feel like the movie had prepared me properly for that we'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause And now, back with more Bald Move. I want to talk about Clements Posey, uh, her role in this film. Yeah, yeah. Fleur de la Cour. Wait. So, like... That's, that Harry, that's a Harry Potter thing? That's a Harry Potter reference okay. of uh, Goblet of Fire. Um, this She made this, like, one year after that came out. So, this is, like, very early on in oh. her, her post-Harry Potter career. I... I um, so like the first phase of this relationship works that like I love everything about it that Ray is like you know Ray doesn't give a fuck about the city but he's a young kid and like a movie's being made with movie like he's instantly like yeah this is the juice this is the juice I want and then he sees this beautiful woman that he thinks is involved with the filmmaking production and he flirts with her and he gets a date Um, so he gets this date and he, obviously you can see that this is something he's trying to distract himself. It's like, I got a beautiful woman in a strange place. Like, I would certainly won't think about murdering a child here. And he's doing some flirting and kind of like openly talking about being a hitman. But it's coming across as like, you know, bravado, a bravado way of not wanting to really mm-hmm. talk about your career. And they're both in, you know, she's like, I forget, like she says, oh, yeah, well, my job is to supply all the drugs to the people in the film. And he's like, uh, she says something like, do I look like a, a drug dealer to you? And he's like, do I look like a person that kills people to you? And she's like, no. Well, maybe children. And like the fucking fa- his face mm-hmm. when she says that, that like everything's turning to ash in his mouth. It's like one thing. And he tries to salvage it, but then he gets back to his apartment and he thinks he's going to like finally, okay, I can throw myself in this forget. And then it turns out that this is just a setup for her real boyfriend to come and rob him. And this is that like what she does. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. I like that. It's very much purgatory, right? Uh, and I mm-hmm. loved this like tough guy, like you know, this like fake tough guy who like beats up tourists and stuff, and he comes across an honest to god gangster, and it's like, you know, what's his face trying to stick up jewels in the cafe, you know, yeah, in yeah. Pulp Fiction. It's like you know, when when a guy who thinks he's a lion comes across the lion, you know, and mm-hmm. he's he times, oh, you're just another fucking sheep. And how, like, you know, effortlessly Colin Farrell disarms this guy. And he's yeah. like, are you, it's like, what's up with skinheads? I thought skinheads are supposed to be hard men and you're a, a, a soft man. 
And the guy's like, oh, I'm not so that's gun, that that gun just loaded blanks. And he still thinks he's just going to be able to beat the shit out. And he starts advancing. Colin just shoots him in the face, yeah. knowing that, like, yeah, blanks are not something to fuck with. They actually killed one of Bruce Lee's kids. Mm-hmm. And it completely mm-hmm. blinds the guy. And he's on the floor screaming and stuff. And I just thought that was so fucking funny that the Ray's like, yeah, fuck you. Pow. And he's like, I'm blind. He's like, of course you are. I just shot you in the face with a blank. <laughs> so yeah. all that stuff works. All that stuff works. The second stage of the plot where actually no fooling Clements Posey is 100% totally in love with Ray. I, and then there's also some things I think where it turns out everything she said, she's telling the truth. She is there to sell drugs to all the cast and crew. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the little person uh, uh, is, is, <laughs> on horse, on uh. is on horse tranquilizer. All yep. that stuff. And it's like that continues to get funnier. But like her just like being true blue for this guy. And to the extent that, like, I don't, do you believe her when she's saying, oh, I didn't, this isn't what I intended to happen. I, I told him to stay away, blah, blah, blah. Do you believe that? Or why is this the guy that she decided to not rip and roll? So he, this first date is remarkable, but not in a good way. Uh, <laughs> They go so hard at each other. Like, I th- there's there's playful flirting and there's nagging and shit like that. And then there's what there's what happens in this scene. That's, that's an Irish gangster is he's got. Yeah, apparently, because holy shit, they go hard at each other. Uh, just mean-spiritedly. They're uh-huh. tearing into each other. And I think she's turned on by that. I think that's the yes. thing. Like she's attracted obviously to dangerous men mm. and she thought she had a dangerous man in her current boyfriend. And then she meets this guy and between how hard they go in this date and like him disarming and humiliating her current boyfriend that she thinks is tough. Yeah. I, I, I kind of bought it. I bought okay. it. She seems she's she's doing a great job. She's playing the exact same character as she does in The Walking Dead, except fifteen years earlier, right? Yeah, she, she's yeah, yeah, fifteen yeah. years younger. She's ridiculously good in this movie. I I, I really love. I her. wish I had seen this movie eight weeks yes. ago. I wish the commission queue because I completely forgot she's in and like the, the parallels between her character and that are obvious. Like they're they're identical. Other than yeah. she yeah, yeah, she yeah, hasn't yeah. become a nun yet post apocalypse, right? right. Right, and she's she's uh, more like pickpocket than than uh, seductress uh, robber, but but there's yeah, an very element similar. of that, like going out yeah. and d- getting in your best dress and dancing with people. That's seduction for sure. Like there's, sure. it's all over that character. Uh, but I think like she plays that character so well that I buy it by the end. Yeah, that's an interesting take because like I was getting more from like she was genuinely afraid of this guy once she saw him beat the Canadians up, which I love that too. The the payoff of the woman coming oh at you with a God. bottle being a and yes. she starts like swinging he came at, at you me. with a bottle. You could kill him, right? You could kill right. the person. No problem. Right. And he, he takes out the Canadian and is like, okay, whatever. Uh, which is also <laughs> why you just really shouldn't start shit with. Like, I've I've tried to learn that lesson myself. Like, it feels good to, like, confront people for acting badly. But, like, people who are acting badly in public rarely don't know. It's not like they were raised by wolves. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I'm not allowed to blow smoke in people. Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I, I will tuck this under my new rule of civilization. I'll never forget mostly they're doing that shit probably because they want to let a little bit of the, the venom out 
And mm-hmm. but then when the his wife comes, like also fucking a this dude this 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 lady is is ride or die. <laughs> she's, she's watched yeah, Colin Farrell beat her husband down, and he she comes at him with a wine bottle, and he's like, "Don't bother." Sidesteps like a matador and drops her with a left hook. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's and and I so I thought it's like she's horrified and she's like trying to like save her boyfriend, but. I think I think what I needed to convince myself that she was falling in love with him is for her to suggest, can we go back to your place? Oh, okay. To to and avoid, then, and then the Ray could be like, "Oh, I, I'm actually sharing a room with my business partner. Uh, that wouldn't be cool." And then her kind of resign, you know, like like uh, something on her face, like because this movie's expert at showing people's reactions to kind of convey hidden subtle meaning. And then you yeah, know the fact that, that, that could have worked really well. And or she's like, oh, in that case, I need to make a quick call to tell my roommate to do something. And then then I would then I would have no question. But as it was like, I was genuinely shocked when she shows the bail shows up to bail him out and is like talking about how the but like, yeah, it makes sense that he is the alphist version of the thing that she's attracted to. And she's a little bit, you know, like she she wasn't like a, a movie star who is completely and she is a drug dealer i guess that does work yeah i i I thought it worked pretty well and like him calling her resolves kind of a lot of the loose ends in the movie right she says to call me and he eventually does but it's from jail after Mm -hmm. he's beaten up a guy um who was you know supposed to rob him because of her like there's a lot of and he doesn't want to call Ken I think because Ken told him not to get in trouble and here he is punching people out and getting arrested that would yeah. look good so he calls yeah. her instead I think Plus a lot he's of not supposed to be here there. that's the other that's like yeah he's not even supposed to be in town oh yeah um, no he's hiding out and like uh, imagine I, like what Ken would say if he like risked his life to put him on a train to evade Harry's wrath he's like Ken I'm in jail because I punched out a Canadian can you come get me <laughs> yeah yeah It'd have been better. It'd have been better off, but then the rest of the movie wouldn't happen. That I gotta say, the Canadian had it coming. What kind of asshole sits in a smoking section of a restaurant and then complains about smoking? Dude, the face? fuck yeah. that guy. He deserved every punch he got, which was only it's, one. Yeah. I also, uh, I don't buy a Canadian would do that. Nah, no fucking yeah. way. No fucking way. They they they, right. they maybe would say something, but it wouldn't be in this guy's tone. Like I I don't know. Maybe he's one of those uh, weird surly Canadians. <laughs> Here's that, the I, thing. They have I think to have. I think it also connects to his anti-American shit that he's doing because at some point he, I think he thinks this guy's American, and so he punches him out, thinking, "Oh yeah, fuck Americans, right? These the loud, fat, crass pieces of shit." And then later on the train, when he sees the guy, he's like, he finds out that he's Canadian. He's like, shit, he's Canadian. <laughs> yeah, because it's mostly like I, I, I took it as like if he's American, kind of like the idea, like an American would probably take the punch and be like, ah, oh, fuck, better man won, you know, where a Canadian would like go to the cops. Oh, OK. Kind I of thought like, it was it's him kind of just like, being like, oh, Americans but, deserve it. Canadians don't. <laughs> but also, yeah, that's actually funny, too, because <laughs> he hates Americans. I mean, look how he behaves toward him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, God, that's like as as un- as uncomfortable as the fat jokes were. Yeah. I did appreciate how they paid off when 
the guy <laughs> when the Ray and Harry are trying to get to the top of the towers, like it's it's closed today. It's like how can it be closed? Oh man, had a heart attack on the stairs yesterday. <laughs> God. <laughs> I don't take offense uh, at any of the American stuff. I think it's funny no. because, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, we have our stereotypes here. But, like, sure, y- yeah, it's... it's yeah. It, the, the joke I take offense at is not, oh, haha, Americans are fat. Mm-hmm. It's making fun of people with weight problems that I take offense at. Yeah, Whether they're American, even... Canadian, Belgian, or Irish, I don't care. I forget why. I think it was a piece of art, and I was kind of in a bad mood. But to cheer myself up, I did a I did a back to back watch of uh, Lilo and Stitch and Moana. I did like a Pacific hmm. Islander okay. uh, fest. They go pretty hard at fat, fat, fat white Americans and Lilo and Stitch, and maybe oh, fair yeah. enough, colonizer, all that kind of stuff. But like they go hard. Like Lilo collects. <laughs> pictures of fat whales fat sunburnt whales and and what? pictures them up as like like a national geographic and and she in her mind she thinks they're unironically beautiful i think is what makes it like she's not doing this she's a young girl she's not doing us any hate she's just like collecting this image of ugly americans but like they do go wow. fucking they do go really hard for kids film on that um Okay, do you have anything? I feel like I've talked this movie out. We still got some thoughts on Michael that I think are interesting. Do you want to get to those, or do you have a couple more gym, some gym spice to sprinkle into the stew? What, what's a 50-year-old lollipop man doing knowing karate? <laughs> I just, I love, the failure so many to engage. Lines. The failure to engage with analogy uh-huh. and hypotheticals uh-huh. by everyone. Like, like That's the other thing I think they're trying to say is like Harry and Ray are kind of cut from the same cloth because Ken's this kind of like mm. thinking man philosopher and every time he tries that shit with either one of them it's like they just nitpick the what a 50 yeah. year old lollipop no was he is he is he is he Chinese which is also uh-huh. super offensive because China uh-huh. Chinese don't they don't do karate well, karate yeah. uh, that's Japanese deal sure. um, it's kung fu yeah they do they do kung fu uh, anything else uh no no all right um so michael's guys this might be a little bit of dry pie um which is an old meme but it still checks out have you seen the theory that this movie was all based in purgatory not sure how it's taught outside of catholicism oh, but this movie yeah. matches pretty well ray struck in bruges and not sure why every time he tries to leave something brings him back he commits two mortal sins technically he confessed to killing the priest before shooting him Ooh, interesting First mortal mm-hmm. sin was killing the child, and he atoned by trying to protect Jimmy. Second was the attempted suicide, and he atoned for that with the last line saying that he wanted to live. Hmm. Like I said, I was super into the purgatory. You've obviously thought about this film a lot more than me, Michael. That's that's uh, yeah. I think an on point reading, and it even like I said, it makes I think it makes some of the other shit that Jim had problems with in retrospect better because they're clearly going for that purgatory, and you can't just get out of purgatory. Sure, sure. He also says, if Ray survives and does confess and accept whatever punishment, what do you think that punishment should be? I really enjoyed your conversations on prison sentencing, etc. during Taking Back Our Corners and started thinking of it and rewatching Bruges. Colin Farrell did such an amazing job in showing how guilt can be its own punishment. I think a prison mm. sentence might actually help him. Crime and punishment is the only other work I can remember thinking that way. Well, it's funny because like by the movie's scale of justice... 
my uh, liberal notions of criminal justice don't apply because he is appealing to the woman, the mother of the child that he killed. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem is and that's like that's the danger of structuring society around, you know, if a someone murdered my child, if I if I if I found out that my son was murdered in school or on the street or whatever, I might want that person to die. And if it was up to me, that person would die. But like, that's not how we do societal justice. That's that's Stone Age caveman like lizard brain justice. So Colin is throwing himself at that court. Yeah. And, you know, he might get prison. He might get death. Um, I don't know. I, I think that um, I don't know what would be appropriate. Like, I, I think that, like, I always look at the Nordic systems because I think they're doing things pretty right. And I, it's, it's pretty like in, in those systems on your first murder, you get like 10 or 15 years unless they think you're a psychopath. And then you mm-hmm. just don't get out because you're a psychopath. I... You know, um, I guess there's a lot of study that like most murderers don't repeat murder. And there's a lot of the, oh, well, if I, you know, I can think of any number of people I'd kill if I could just get out in 10 years. But would you really? 10 years in prison is not a fucking joke. That's a whole decade of your life gone. And if that decade is spent Mm -hmm. in like therapy and talking to counselors and trying to fix whatever societal problems fucked you up so bad that you behaved in this way and you're treated like a humane person. You've got an apartment that you're kind of staying essentially an apartment, a well-provisioned apartment you're staying in and you can have some pride of ownership and taught that like, yeah, I don't know why we jump right to life in prison. If you kill somebody, even, even something heinous like a child or whatnot. Um, but yeah, that's that scene is horrifying by the general public. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's some balance between, yeah, between trying to redeem people and trying to punish people. I I think like, I don't know, punishment it can be a learning experience for people, but you want them to learn the right lessons, right? You don't yeah. want them to learn that the system is out to get them and nothing is fair and fuck everything, right? Because yeah. that just makes them worse people. I, I feel like that's the end of this movie is kind of leaning into the idea of self judgment more than you know whether or not he deserves some kind of cosmic ju- ju- judgment or justice or whatever. Because I, I think what's happening at the end is he's forgiven himself for killing this kid, and. Because he says he wants to live now, right? Like that's that's the one thing that stands out to me is I maybe this that's what hell is. It's spending eternity in Bruges, and I really really hoped I wouldn't die. He wants to live. He he's come through this experience thinking, okay, maybe I can be a better person. Maybe I can do what Ken was telling me to do. Yeah. And so you see that he's changed. He's been judged by himself, and he thinks there's a path forward for him. So would it be right to then have, you know, the mother of this child or the father of this child or whatever, come in and murder him mm-hmm. because that would be justice in their eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a really tricky question. And that's the thing. People that anyone's recoiling from my sense of justice, it revolves around two truths that you, no one can deny. There's nothing you can do to bring the dead person back. 
True. Obviously, that'd be if you had some sci-fi thing, you could push a button to revive that person. That would be the best way of restorative justice. And then you send the person to some kind of rehab and you don't let them out until like a board of experts says we are reasonably confident that this person's learned their lesson and they understand the magnitude of the crime and all that. So that's 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 the best. And then there's no analog for it either. Right. There's no way to make amends for that loss. No. So second best is like the it's also sci fi, but the justice they do in the culture series by Ian and Banks, where if you manage to murder somebody, which isn't super hard because you can be brought back from the brink of death in any number of sci fi ways, a sentient droid that volunteers for this purpose agrees to follow that person around for the rest of their natural life and prevent them from killing anyone else. But otherwise, they're free. You just have you just have this AI that floats around you in just out of ear and eye shot that will zoom in and prevent you from killing anyone. That's the what second. Is the, what best. is the dro- what is the droids incentive to do that? Because they're effectively immortal and they also get off an altruism. That's like their social currency. Like, OK, you know, okay. and not every AI. There's other AIs that are a lot like more, I'd say, diabolical or evil, but they're harshly judged and kind of ostracized by their other AI and kind of shut out of their society and pushed to the fringes. So, but so like that's the second those best. Being options, not as being options, yeah. then what to do? You could kill the person, which sure. is going to add another death to the world. Uh, but the possibility of redeeming that person and returning them to effective civilian life that's like that that's 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 the whole man the fact that almost every piece of criminal justice study says that that's the way to go you know that like mm-hmm. these these locking someone up and throwing away the key you know it's like you should you, you got to distinguish the people who are committing crimes for like understandable human reasons and again the true psychopaths those people you just yeah what they have so poor self-control that they're going to kill people like yeah they just kind of be have to be excluded from society for their own right. protection and ours. But like most people are not that most people like read from, you know, Shawshank Redemption. He was an angry young kid that he doesn't even understand anymore. And I wish I could go back and teach and, mm-hmm. you know, like that's and like what if red, like, you know, and I guess the thing about that movie is they they posit that red has to, like essentially has to be an old man before he learns that lesson. I don't think that's true. I think if, you know, they spent less time making him break rocks and tar roofs and more time in group therapy that he'd get there in 10 years. Anyway, it's just like mm-hmm. I said, it's, it's me being a crazy liberal. Um, so that's that. He also has, after just listening to your Mean Streets podcast, this is, this is cutting edge commissioner feedback. I had to mm-hmm. try and add the question, what do you think about Scorsese's Catholic guilt versus McDonough's Catholic guilt? I know what I think. Versus what? What do you? How are we ranking these? Like, how am I to judge these? No, it's not ranking. It's like, what are the flavor? How is the flavor different? Is the flavor the same? Because I think there's a distinct difference to the flavor. Uh, boy, I'm curious to hear what the difference is because I don't detect much of one. Neither neither of them live by the tenets of their religion. I think Martin Scorsese's Catholic guilt is once you commit a mortal sin, you are fucked. You cannot atone. Like Martin Scorsese uh, himself is okay. on record saying, I'm going to hell. I think it's because he paid for an abortion. But he's he, he's convinced he's going to hell. But, I, but um, the teachings whereas Madonna say that you can simply by confessing and repenting, you you are forgiven of those things, right? Like, 
And I know there are some sins that are so egregious. Yeah, and the Pope said you can. True, but like, the Pope says you can eat meat on Friday, but there's still a lot of people eating fish, you know, because like, well, uh-huh. what the Pope's wrong? I think there's a, some of that is like just like bottom line. Martin, Martin Scorsese doesn't believe in redemption, doesn't believe in atonement, okay. and Madonna clearly sure. does. Clearly thinks that even the most mm-hmm. heinous crimes can be atoned for, and that there are you know, mitigating factors and, ter- and and innocence and things like that. And it's not just the, the children that get killed. It's like, you know, like Ray is kind of an innocent, you know, he didn't know because of his background, because of his age, because of his inexperience. That's the, the, yeah, the flavor. Yeah, I think that's borne out in the movies. All right. Um, I think that's going to be it for In Bruges. Thanks for commissioning this film, Michael. It gave me an excuse to watch an, uh, it again. Is an eye-opening experience, but also I think that the core thing that makes this movie work still very much works um and i think reason yeah. people could probably disagree on that but uh I, I still think it's a pretty great movie and uh if you want this without you know uh all the the irish gangster misandry bullshit uh try banshees of Sheeran, but it's in a Sheeran. it's it's a it's a lot different it's a it's a different film it's also the same film down to the actors mm-hmm. uh in fact i've got a kind of working a working theory that this is them in the afterlife. The Banshees <laughs> okay. of Inishira are these uh-huh. same characters passed on and with with vague memories of, you know, kind of like Yeah, what was that um what what dreams may come kind of kind of mm-hmm. deal? Uh kind of like quasi dream you know, very idyllic dream scape. I, I think it's interesting to view it through that lens. And hey, maybe again we'll take a look at it in a bald move capacity. But uh if you want more of McDonough, check that out. I didn't everyone pretty much even though it won an Oscar or was nominated, I think in retrospect everyone thinks the three billboards sucks. And it makes sense. That's an huh. that's a person that spent all their life across the Atlantic uh trying to commentate on shit in America. And uh, when he surprise, clearly surprise. hates Americans. I mean, look True. at what he did here. True. <laughs> True. Uh, it's no, I mean, uh, I'm kidding. Just he probably probably thinks. Yeah. Probably made probably made a few few mistakes and misunderstandings. Well meaning, I'm sure, but but uh, definitely Banshees of Inisherin is great. Uh, that's going to do it. Thank you very much, Michael, for commissioning this film. As I mentioned, I uh, imagine some people are wondering, gee, how can I get in this action to make Jim and Aaron watch my favorite thing? Well, we have an official process for it. It's called a commission podcast. Go to support.baldmove.com. You pay your money. You name your piece of media two-ish hours, ideally, and uh, we get back with you and take it from there. Uh, check it out, support.baldmove.com. Otherwise, we'll see you on a new Prestige podcast coming very soon. We're actually going to be... I know a lot of people have been unhappy with our prestige coverage. Oh, remember when Jim and Aaron used to watch good television and it wasn't just all Walking Dead and space shit and dragon shit and they did things like Madden. They just don't do succession and they're a bunch of fucking Philistines. Well, guess what? Double prestige, baby. This winter is going to be for all mankind and Fargo with True Detective following like death behind them. It's going to be so much prestige. It'll be coming at your nose. It's coming up soon. I'm excited for it. Lots of prestige action. I hope you guys are in for it, too. Uh, if you like our prestige stuff, by the way, uh, make sure you subscribe to our prestige pod. All right, I've done enough hawking. We'll see you guys later sometime soon. Again, thanks, Michael. We'll see you guys later.